Hi everyone, John Lyons here with the Film Grain Podcast. As our organization faces another difficult year for programming, we are pivoting to a virtual cinema format for our beloved Film Grain Dinner and a Movie series. Every other Wednesday at 6 p.m., we'll be discussing a new narrative or documentary film live on Zoom, and we'd love for you to join us. Some of the films will be readily available on popular streaming sites like Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu. Others will be rented through partnerships we've established with various distributors with a percentage of the much-needed proceeds going towards the Film Society. Our first selection in the virtual cinema series is Malcolm and Marie, which is now available on Netflix and was shot last year in secret and under quarantine. Writer-director Sam Levingston teams up with Zendaya and John David Washington for an achingly romantic drama in which a filmmaker and his girlfriend return home following a celebratory movie premiere, awaiting what's sure to be an imminent critical and financial success, but the evening suddenly takes a turn as revelations about their relationships begin to surface, testing the strength of their love. So how will this virtual series work? Watch Malcolm and Marie on Netflix, then join us on the 17th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time via Zoom to discuss the film. Our discussion will be recorded and released here on the Film Grain podcast. How do you get the Zoom link and join in the fun? Just subscribe to our newsletter at filmsocietynwpa.org or follow the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania on Facebook and the Malcolm and Marie event listed there for all the details. And keep checking in to see what we show next. We have an awesome program ahead. Please consider making a donation to the Film Society as well through our website. Thank you for your support, and I hope to see you soon to share your thoughts on Malcolm and Marie. Have a great day. Welcome to Film Grain. It's the official podcast of the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania and the Greater Erie Film Office. This week, our guest is Mr. Hustle himself, Alex Ferrari. He's an author, blogger, speaker, consultant, and the host of the number one filmmaking podcast on iTunes, Indie Film Hustle. And we'll be talking about reimagining a post-industrial city like Erie to make it the home of the million dollar movie and can the theatrical exhibition vacuum lift up American independent filmmaking once again. I'm Erica Berlin. I'm the executive director of the Film Society of Northwestern PA. I'm John Lyons, a filmmaker, teaching artist, and the director of programming for the Film Society. I'm Mike Berlin, your New Year's resolution personification of cinema right here. Let's do it. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Solid start. <laughs> Well, Alex, thank you so much for being here. You know, admittedly, I am a customer. I've been listening to you for a couple years on the podcast, basically ever since uh, we wrapped production on our last feature film, and uh, you've been very helpful. So we're really excited to introduce you to our audiences here. I appreciate that, man. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate uh, I appreciate you having me on the show, and uh, we had a we had a a wonderful conversation prior to recording already. So I know we're going to have a lot of fun. The first place that I uh, remember coming across your name was, I think it was called back then a message board called DVX oh user. Do you remember Stop DVX it. user? Stop <laughs> it. Stop it. Do you, do you actually remember me from DVX user? Yes. Oh my 
God. Because, uh, and I know you've said this uh, on other podcasts, I was one of those people that had the uh, the Panasonic DVX100. I had the 100A model. Uh, which model did you have, by the way? It was the only good one is the 100A. Okay. The 100 yeah. didn't have the certain features, and B was just like a, a waste of money. It's the A. If, you, if you're a true Panasonic DVX user, it's the A. I don't care what anyone tells you. There's no love Is that for the what you a made BOGO on? Yes, BOGO, which Erica was in. Yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah. so Wait, Erica, that was yeah, a that is... was a competition. That was yeah. a great competition that John was in. It was I think they gave you the script. Yes. They gave everyone the same script and then you had to make your own movie yeah they had these a little short. competitions every once in a while on dvx user but alex was the first filmmaker to kind of know what he was doing from a business perspective <laughs> and i remember when this bastard uh sold so many copies of his short film broken which was then uh reviewed by roger ebert yeah. and i mean i was like what is who is this guy like, what is he doing? I mean, you are you still selling copies of the broken short film, Alex? The broken short film still gets sold every month somewhere in the world, uh, but it's not amazing. the DVD. The DVD I, I have, unfortunately, uh, about, about, I'm going to say 250 DVDs left. It was so funny. I went to a, I went to a signing of one of my books. Uh, a book signing, and I brought a box of broken DVDs. I'm like, so if they bought a book, I'm like, here's a copy of DVD. He Please just, just take it. it. Just take it. <laughs> and I had kids like, what is this? They turned to me like, what is I don't, what a DV? What I don't know. Oh. Like, what is this? They just knew me from now, and they had no idea what it is. Like, I don't even have anything to put this in. I don't. I'm like, just take it. It's a collector's item. Just I just want it gone. I just can't throw them away, but I can give them away. <laughs> Give it, give it to your dad. He'll know. He'll give know. it to your dad. He'll know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny because I mean, when I did Broken, this is I shot Broken in two thousand four, and I'd already been a post guy probably for ten years at that point. Uh, since I think no, not ten years, maybe like eight years. I was already at, at directing and did commercials, and I did a lot of editing and, and post work. You know, us old old guys shall remember what it was like doing post back in the late '90s, early 2000s. Not nearly as simple uh, as it is today. And the DVX user was the first 24P camera, giving you the film look that existed at an affordable price point. And I wanted to shoot something. I was only shooting film. I was shooting 35 uh, on all my projects prior to that and 16 and, and even Super 8 sometimes. But I, I, I never liked um, the Canon, like that Canon XL1. Right. It was just, it was garbage. It just yeah, it was, like, the picture was shit. <laughs> it just looked like garbage. And I was just like, I can't, you know, I know 28 days, I think it was. It's 28 days later. Yeah. Yeah. 28 days later, shot yeah. on it. But like, yeah, but he shot on it, but he, he was shooting it with like Panasonic lens, like, yes. I'm not Panasonic lenses, Panavision lenses. And then, I mean, I saw, I, I, I followed his whole workflow, but I, I saw this camera. I was like, this is cool. I think I could shoot something with it. So I bought the camera and, you know, I had this script I wanted to shoot. And I was like, well, if we're going to do this, let's do this right. And I did a whole bunch of visual effects on it. So I got my buddies who were just, you know, basically students at that point and young guys just coming up to do all my visual effects for me. And they were, and they, I didn't even know them at that point. I just kind of mm -hmm. interviewed them and I'm like, so I need you to work for free. And, um, but you're going to be part of some cool stuff. And it's going to, and, and, and basically they were just like, yeah, I just need something for my reel. By the way, uh, fast forward 20 years, um, both those guys have worked on 
uh, Avengers, um, Last Sky, <laughs> Star Wars films, James Bond films, X Men films. Like they're huge dudes now in the um, in the space of visual effects. They just they're one of those those kind of gunslinger guys now. And I always tell them like, your career was I made you. Don't ever. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're welcome. I, you're welcome. I made <laughs> you. So they're like, look, we'll just call it even from all because we, we haven't got any residual checks from broken yet, Alex. So I think we're just gonna call that even. I'm like, yeah, you know what? You're fair. Fair enough. <laughs> So, um, oh, and I worked with them a ton afterwards, but I, so then I released the, I released the DVD and it started getting a lot of action. And, and, um, if you were on DVX user or any message board anywhere on the planet, I'm not mm -hmm. exaggerating that talked about film. You saw the trailer for broken. You saw my name fly there. It was everywhere. And that was because I sat in front of a computer for eight to 10 hours a day. Cause I had no life, no family, no, no wife, no girlfriend for, I'm going to say seven months. And just every day, everywhere, it just was everywhere, getting reviews, getting all this kind of action on it. And then I was like, well, how am I going to make money with this? And then that's when I put together this DVD of how, uh, like this kind of film school on how to make a movie with this kind of technology and at this kind of budget range. And honestly, there was really nothing out there at that point. I know it's hard for people listening right now to understand that like there was no YouTube. Like when I released <laughs> Broken, YouTube was just going online. And I and I and I have challenged anybody to find any different to, to to prove me wrong, but I think I still am the oldest film tutorial on YouTube. Yeah, uh, well, that's up there still. I mean, you were kind of doing like you know Robert Rodriguez did his ten minute right. film schools, but you kind of did like a ten hour film school out of like a ten minute <laughs> short film, right? <laughs> there was so much more content than the, the film. The film was only twenty minutes, cool. um, but I had like a four and a half hour or five and a half hours of content on how I made it on this DVD. And yeah, Roberts was a, a big inspiration to me, but I, like I always said, I'm like, Roberts 10 minute film schools are great, but Robert was rolling 7 million yeah. deep on Desperado. So that's right. really not helping me a whole hell of a lot. You know, I was like, Hey, I, I'm glad that you grabbed the Steadicam and were doing it yourself. And I'm, I'm super cool that you you were shooting so many thousands of feet of 35 a day, that's not helping me right now. It's cool and I love watching it and it's inspirational, but how do I take my little camera with my Final Cut Pro 4, um, you know, on there with Shake uh, as my visual effects compositing oh, wow. program okay. and put all that together and make something of some sort of quality. And that's when um, I was able to come up with Broken. And, and the big thing was I color corrected it as well. And I didn't know, I never color corrected it in my life. So I've, I kind of put it all together and I use these plugins and then the, the manufacturers of these plugins found out that I was talking about them on the, on my DVD. And they're like, here's some free plugins. Ooh. And then it, so it was, oh, so I'm like, wait a minute, this is super cool. But it was, I just was everything. I can't tell you that it was all planned. I just kind of was doing everything instinctually and it just worked out. And to this day, people like yourselves, good filmmakers <laughs> like yourself still bring up broken especially of a certain age will bring up broken and go oh i have that dvd or i it really helped me or something like that so it's still going a certain there. age a certain a certain age. A, certain, oh. a certain a certain grayish <laughs> age that uh, no one can see this except for me but every single guy i'm looking at right now has a gray goatee every single one <laughs> mike you can tell that mike is the youngest yeah, so he only has only has a little bit of the salt. A little bit. Little salt. See, I have more. I, I have, I'm, I'm I have working more on salt. it. I have more salt than pepper. You have more pepper than salt. So there's the difference. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, 
Alex, what version of Final Cut was it that yeah that you worked? I think it was four. I think it was four. Yeah, um, I think it was four or five. I can't remember the years back then, but Mm -hmm. it was definitely not seven. You know, but the concept of being able to plug in the camera with your FireWire 400 Mm -hmm. and have to do an offline because you had offline because standard def way too much. Non-controllable device. It was called the non-controllable device. Yes, Yes. and the control, the the um the the quality of of standard definition, seven twenty by four eighty six broadcast too powerful yeah. so you had to go offline first <laughs> with the cable hooked up edit in really bad proxies then go back and redigitize everything and that was magic for yeah. people like us that had been working in the i mean at least for me i was working in, in you know high and professional commercial environments where that's what you would do with an avid but you would you know be hooking it up to hundred thousand dollar machines the concept of that being brought to a little you know, I don't even know how much did it cost. Like three thousand bucks, I think it was. Maybe back yeah, then, probably three. Yeah, or four. It was not a cheap day. Yeah, it was like a three or four thousand dollar camera back then. But that 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 technology in there, it was just like, well, shoot, yeah. it was magical. It was truly magical and game changing to say. Mini DVs. I had so many damn mini DVs all over the place. This oh, was we just tape. moved, and I found a bunch of mini DVs. I, I just found a bunch of mini DVs, and I found like a little camera like this size mm-hmm. i'm thinking i think we sold it to someone or maybe we even i, I still actually have it up uh oh you still yeah. have it okay I still have it. we've yeah. got it that yeah. one's going in the museum <laughs> i actually yeah. when i when i first got to la it was one of my first sales i did i sold my dvx yeah to i sold some, mine some, too. to some guy who I, mean, I sold it for like a thousand bucks i was like here you go dude yeah knock yourself nice. out and this was in 2008 so I already saw where things were going and it was like, it wasn't mini DV and it wasn't standard def. So I sold it off. Um, but I recently just purchased a just standard old school mini DV t- camera just to go back and watch the old stuff. That's why I kept, that. that's actually why I kept it. I bought this little camera for like 50 bucks and now I'm able to watch all my behind the scenes of, of I like, I found stuff. I'm like, Oh my God, look at this. <laughs> Jesus. How, look how thin I was. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> What happened? I was in such good shape and I thought I was in bad shape back then. What's wrong with me? And by the way, in 20 years, we'll all look back now and we're like, oh God, we were in such good shape back then. Yeah. <laughs> that was gorgeous. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard that where it's like, don't you wish you were as fat now as how fat you were back then or something? Oh. <laughs> I, so I found, I find, I might release this footage. I actually found some behind the scenes of me shooting uh, a kind of like a Nike commercial back when I was 24 and it was like a sports brand. Uh, I call it the Nike commercial and it was shot 35 and it's, it's gorgeous. I'm going to, I'm actually remastering it. I'm getting it rescanned into to 4k cause off the film neg. Cause I want to re I want to bring it out again. Cause it's just some, it's gorgeous stuff. I shot, I love shooting it. And I saw the behind the scenes and my, I, I, I brought my wife in and my daughters in to see it. And they were just like, who's that? Like they couldn't, <laughs> Like, and I, I was shocked when I saw myself. I'm like, I could not believe I was in that good of shape. And I was working out back then. I had a trainer and everything, but I was like, holy cow, I was in good shape back then. And I remember thinking of myself, oh, you're fat back then. And it's just like, oh my God, I would kill for that body fat right now. You're like, you have no idea, man. No, I yeah, there's only only a only this all this extra salt that we have in our beards. That's what that's hindsight. That's right. That's right. <laughs> hindsight. Oh man. How did you um how did remind me how it came 
to Roger Ebert. How did how did you do that? Was it a festival or something? Yeah, so I was broken. Got me a lot of attention in LA, and I was in I was in Florida at the time. I was I, I was living in Broward County, with like Fort Lauderdale area. So um, I, I I went to Sundance um, without. I kept saying, I was, you know, I, I've been hustling for a while, guys. So um, so what I used to put on my website was I put laurels. <laughs> I would put laurels, and I said Sundance, and at the very top was like visiting. So and <laughs> click on it, it would take you to pictures of me at Sundance with the film. But hey, we actually walked back in the day, we walked around uh, Sundance Park City on Main Street with a, a lap, not a laptop, a DVD player, those old portable DVD portable players. one. Yeah. And I'm like, hey guys, you want to watch a trailer? Hey guys, you want to watch a trailer? Hey guys. And it was, that's how we hustled it back then. And uh, we met a bunch of producers and then they connected us to other people and you know it was 05 so it was still it wasn't the glory days of sundance but there was still that aura sundance was still sundance at that point and they were still looking for that kind of kevin smith robert rodriguez tarantino-esque yeah. um kind of filmmaker so i started getting a lot of attention because i was showing people stuff that just really wasn't around at that that point and one thing that to another i got to i, I got associated with this big producer who wanted to produce the feature version of broken mm -hmm. so then they said look we're going to be up at the toronto film festival do you want to come i'm like yes so um they flew us up me and my my partner at the time and uh and they're like hey look here's one of our movies that we're screening here's some tickets and we go to the you know we had nothing else to do so we went to go see that movie and when i'm sitting there my partner kicks me and goes dude roger ebert's in the it's in the back and i turn around I'm like oh my god there's roger ebert and for people not listen, listening who don't know who Roger Ebert, he was the, the. film critic. Um, he's the only film critic to ever win a Pulitzer Prize. He is legendary. And it's just, he was as nice of a human being to filmmakers as, as humanly possible. I mean, he was critical, but he was a big champion of filmmakers. And um, so he's like, should we, should we go up there? I'm like, yeah, let's go, let's go. Screw it. Like we got 10 minutes before the movie starts. Let's go. So he's sitting all alone in the corner and I walk up to Roger and I just go, hi, Roger. And we just, all, all my, <laughs> all I want to do is say hi. Yeah. I have no, uh, nothing else in my mind. I truly don't. And I'm just like, oh man, Roger, you know, blah, 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 blah. And we just start talking about what we did with Broken. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did this and I did that. And we did this and that. And then all, like halfway through the spiel, Roger's head turns and he goes, hey, can, can I take you guys picture? And I'm like, <laughs> Yes. So in my head, my simplistic mind, I'm all I hear is all I'm like, great. He asked me to take my pictures. I can ask him to take his. So we had like a little portable camera with us at the time. Um, again, super naive. Not, don't even know what's going on. We're just happy to be there. So he takes our picture. We take his picture and he goes this way. And then he turns, he goes, you know, and he's taking notes, by the way, he's at this point taking notes of things we're saying. And I, and he goes, you know, this would make a nice little blurb for my blog. And I said, would, would you like to see our movie? And he goes, yes. And he goes, well, here's the DVD. Boom. And I gave him a copy of the DVD. I happened to have it in my back pocket. And by the time we landed, um, he had already watched the, we watched the movie. Um, and, and we put a review and in, incorporated into an uh, <laughs> article he wrote about new, you know, uh, new technologies and mm -hmm. how filmmakers are using new technology. And he, he wrote two very beautiful comments about our, um, our little film. And by the way, while we we're talking to him, 
he said very straight up, he's like, I can't look guys, I can't watch your movie. Like, I'm like, of course. And like, we're like, again, my mind, like, of course, Roger Reed, why would you watch my movie? It's like, you're right. Roger Reed. He goes, there's only so many hours in a day. I can't really, you know, I'm like, of course, you, like, you can't watch. I'm not even in the festival. Like, why would you do that? And then when that's when it all turned out. So that's how I got Roger Ebert. And I could, I, I'll be, because you were saying earlier, they didn't want to curse me, but I know because <laughs> I felt your, I felt, the, I felt the haterade the moment Roger Ebert came out. From Roger Ebert, up to Roger Ebert, we had 60 reviews from 60 film websites around the world. Mm -hmm. And all of them were glowing. I mean, just comparing me to like the Wysorski siblings and and like Fight Club and Seven. And I'm just like, sure. By the way, my ego, completely intact. Don't worry about it. So um, <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't impossible to deal with. I don't care what anyone tells you back then. Um, so... <laughs> And then the second Rogers uh, thing came out, like five negative reviews right away. It was just like all oh, the hater just started coming out. People were just like, "Who the f is this guy? He's where does he live? Who's this movie? Screw him!" And all the hater. And that's when I, at that point in my life, I, I was like Kevin Smith in I think Jane Silent Bob <laughs> Strikes Back, where he would like. Follow uh, every hate. Down. He yeah. track. He would track. I would literally go after every single person who wrote me a negative comment anywhere on any message board, and I would just exhaustively just attack <laughs> and defend myself. Uh, back then, I was, again, it was it was exhausting. So I've already gone through that whole process. So when I get negative reviews now, I'm like, eh, what am I gonna do? I'm too old for that crap now. It's fine. Uh, I, I take the I take the really Scott School of of uh, film reviews. I just don't read them generally. <laughs> But to contrast that, like, okay, so yeah, you went in with no expectations and very cool and approached him. Erica and I, so we've went to Sundance a few times. Uh, one time we had a short film that made Troma Dance. If yes, you'll recall, was, Troma yeah, Dance happened the same time as Sundance and Slam. Yeah. So we would go there and then, like, you know, promote, use it as an opportunity to promote our stuff, right? Sure, sure. So we had a feature uh, called Schism, and um, ahead of that Sundance, I think this was maybe the 08 <laughs> Sundance, or was it 08? Okay. So like, I burned a bunch of like Schism DVDs with like the trailer on most of them, and then mm -hmm. some of them had like the full movie. And I don't know if you remember, but back then they had uh discs that you could like burn an image in into the reverse side you i don't could, know you could burn yeah of course. who okay. are you talking to dude? okay of course i remember i mean on the way to sundance my first time i'm on the airplane with a stomper the, the stomper oh, yeah. remember the stomper the stomp oh yeah i was on the plane because we had just like i went straight from the mix <laughs> burning the dvd straight to the airport that's how late go. we were to get to Sunday. So yes, I'm aware of okay. of, of the CD technology. <laughs> so we're sitting um, at a screening. It was an <laughs> awful movie, but right, right, the row in the seat right behind me was Quentin Tarantino, and he was there with Sandra O. Oh. And I'm sitting through the and the movie was so bad, and he was laughing so loud and so obnoxious, like he wanted everybody to know. Like Cape Fear, like Cape Fear, like Cape Fear style, like Robert De Niro, Cape Fear style. Got it. <laughs> yes. Got it. Did he have he's a cigar? The cigar. Did he have a cigar? He's, like, ah. <laughs> he's blowing smoke on the back of my head. Yeah. So at the end of the movie, my wife was there with me, and I'm like, I'm I'm gonna give him a disc. And I like I was so nervous. And I had, but unlike you, Alex, this one I made a mistake. I just turned around, I'm like, 
hi quentin i'm a filmmaker here's here's my movie and he was just like uh, uh uh and it was so awkward and he like stuffed it in his coat and i'm sure he threw it in the trash like as soon as i was out of sight and i just remember afterwards i was like oh my god i'll, I'll never do that again you know like it was that's the way not to do it just like yeah, yeah don't do that don't yeah do don't that. like don't do like that. i don't know you you don't know me flush my stuff like you don't yeah i don't want that yeah that's not a, a good yeah. i think i've done a podcast or two on that alone yeah, do not do that <laughs> but then there's been other sun dances like you know they have the vip areas where you know you can only get in if you have credentials and stuff like that well we've before just like if you look like you know what you're doing and you just kind of like walk in like you've been there a hundred times, like they'll just let you in and then you can just go in and hang out and chill and get the free drinks and stuff. Like there's ways to do it and then there's ways not to do it. Oh yeah, I, I had a friend of mine because I, I, I could write a book on Sundance. I've been there probably six or seven times and I actually made the movie. I made a movie uh, at Sundance as well. We could talk about that later. For but sure. there was one there was one time that we were, there's a couple buddies of ours from Florida from Orlando and they came in and like, and we, we had scammed a couple of tickets um, to the brunch area. Like you have breakfast at this, at the, at the bottom, you get free breakfast. Like you had, you had to be on the list. And my buddy at the time, he got us two badges to go in to breakfast every morning. And this is where all the stars hung out. So I'm like eating next to Robert Downey and Lawrence Bender is having lunch with um, Larry David is right next to oh, us. Man. It was like, this is so freaking cool. Right. And they're all just hanging out. We're, we had breakfast all the time. So my buddies were like, Hey, listen, can, can we get, can we get like, we can't get in their photo IDs. You can't get in. He's like, well, let's see. So they took, we gave them our IDs and they, they bootlegged. <laughs> They created bootleg ideas. Like they went to the they went to the Kinko's store, got it laminated. Nice. Like they took the like they did the whole like they scanned it. Like they did a pro thing. But then we, <laughs> sorry. So we're going in. So like I'm like, and I told him like, look, dude, if some if if some if some stuff goes down, <laughs> you're on your own because you're not ruining this for us. And they're like, yeah, sure, sure, sure. So I'm like, you go back a couple people from us. Yeah. Don't, we don't know you unless you get in. So we go in and then we we, we sit by the door waiting and watch. And then they they they, <laughs> they get the tickets and they, and they, and they, and you see the guys like <laughs> <laughs> just looking at it. And I'm like, and I tell my buddy, I'm like, oh my god, they got they're getting busted. They're gonna get busted. Oh my god, they're gonna get busted. And they they bring over like a couple other people, oh, a couple, other, and I'm like, Ooh. these are the ones that gave us. And this is the, and you could see their face just turn pale white and they're like well you know what let's go i'm gonna go downstairs they go i'm gonna go downstairs and see if we can figure this out so they walk they pretend that they walk downstairs and they bolt they just bolt <laughs> as fast as they can to a taxi because there was no uber yet taxi like they grabbed the taxi and they just went home and they did not return to sundance for like three days because they were afraid Ooh. apparently that the park city police were like searching for them like with an all-out bulletin or something like that I'm like, dude, calm, calm down, guys. You're Redford no had their pictures tacked up <laughs> in every <laughs> like they were gonna right. get. <laughs> I think that's, that's an A for effort. Oh right. no, you gotta give it to them. Park City is full of people that are trying to get it. It's so remote. It's out. It's in <clears throat> January. It's the weather is cold and snowy. It's not like people are descending on Park City trying to get in. I mean, it might be people here and there, but honestly, if you have two or three people trying to get in somewhere, is it really that big of a deal? Come on. Well, that was free, that was free. That, that was free breakfast. So and they wanted yeah. to keep the riffraff out. 
I mean, and I and, and and I was and I was for, I was riffraff, and it was really good. It was really good breakfast, by the way. It wasn't like I'm a sure it was. It was. I'm, it, sure I mean, was. I'm, I'm I'm sitting next to Robert Downey, and I'm like Bob, Bobby, <laughs> Bob. Come on. This is pre. This is pre Iron Man. This is way pre Iron Man. Bob's still like just trying to get a job at that point, but he's still Robert Downey <laughs> oh, Jr. Bob. This is the yeah, Bobby. McBeal days. I'm sorry. The Ellie McBeal days. Any, I think he was at the "I will work for anything" kind of days. He was, yeah. he was, he was in a rough, he was in a rough place back then. But I was still a fan. Yeah, and I got were a picture. I got, pic- I got pictures. Days? They the were only- later than those days. No, 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 no. He has a period. Well, he gets back from prison, and then he pretty much the job he takes is Ali McBeal and gets nominated, wins the Emmy, and then he sort of his demand goes up again. He starts to go up, but he still wasn't because I could tell you from 2000 and all right from my first book that i wrote i don't know if you guys read the book shooting for the mob no we were i was gonna ask you about it. tell us tell us okay me. so yeah. all right so shooting for the mob oh all right. it's fancy i know uh no um this is this is a story of how not to uh, follow your filmmaking dream this is a story of me almost making really a 20 20- for the mob the, i almost made a 20 million dollar movie for the mafia and um and i was 20 I was 24, 25, around that time that, uh, no, no, excuse me, no, it was 26, 27. So I was around 26, 27, a couple years after that commercial thing. So um, I, 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 the story of making a movie for a mafia, I was with them for a year. And everything you can imagine about working with a mobster, he was a retired mobster, quote unquote. How did they find you? Is this after like the broken? Oh, I had Stuff, yeah, or? this was after Broken. This is uh, no, no. This is before Broken. This is before Broken. No, no, no. Okay. This is before. I was. Uh, it was my commercial work. Okay. Uh, I was. Do- I was doing a lot of high end commercials down in Miami. And VFX and, uh, and stuff. No, I no, mean, I wasn't. Into, I wasn't. I wasn't heavy into VFX. I think Broken really is the the thing that kind of catapulted okay. me into that world. Um, I was just doing commercial work. I was just a director, commercial director, and I was editing. So I was. I was an editor, and uh, and a director, and um, I had a quote unquote friend. Um, who connected me to this guy. He's like, hey, man, there's this guy who wants, uh, he's looking for a local director for his $20 million biopic. And I'm like, yeah, sure. That's oh, nice. man. And I'm Vanity like, sure. goes, can, you, can, you, can you meet with him? I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll meet with him. Sure. All right. So I was doing a color timing session um, for one of my commercials. And I'm like, have him meet me at the at the transfer house, at the, at the post house. And uh, so I meet this guy and um, he's dressed like you think a, a mobster from an Italian mobster would be dressed. Whatever you have in your head, that's him. So um, so we're sitting there and he's telling me, you know, he's telling me all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like I'm, I'm green, but I'm like, like, you know, like when a banana is like almost ripe, but not yet, but still kind of green. I'm there. I'm not fully ripe, but I'm kind of like, you know. I, I could smell something. I'm a little street smart at this point, just a little bit, not too much. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, whatever. So then I, I go along with this. He's like, hey, why don't you come meet me at my office? Cute. Sorry. My office in, in, in tomorrow, you know, and I'm, I'm talking to a bunch of directors and I'm, I, I'll let you know and, and I'll meet you in a couple of days. So where, his office was at. It's <laughs> a trailer at a construction site. <laughs> nope. Even better. The back booth at Denny's. So I, um, <laughs> Ooh. So the back. So when I walk in, he's like, "Yeah, my office is being re uh, remodeled at the moment. So mm-hmm. uh, this is where I'm hanging out." So, so I, he goes, "Look, uh, I, I want to offer you the movie," and I'm like, "Okay, let's." And I'm at this point, I'm like, "Well, let's see how long. Let's see how far down this road we can go." Sure, why not? It's not costing me anything at this point. 
So let's let's go down the road. Just, just maybe like, your sure. life. Just maybe your no, life. No, but the thing, but the thing is, because he was no, he was rehabilitated. Yeah, don't don't forget. I he was he had spent time in prison. He's a real dude. I did research on him. The guy was real. I I read all about him. You know, he'd been on on in big magazines and and everything. So I knew who the guy was. And um, <laughs> so I go down this road with him a bit, and um, then he's like, hey, you know, I think we, you know, um, the 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 bonding company wants to do a trailer for you to prove to them that they can that you can do this so they can bond you i'm like well that sounds legitimate um he's like listen you know i'll split the cost with you on shooting mm. a teaser of the script so then i'm like okay fine so i spent 10 grand that i didn't have at the moment he spent 10 grand that he, that he, he put in he did he did exactly what he said he was gonna do and i shot this trailer uh sizzle reel of a bunch of scenes with the movie uh, we had actors flying from LA. Uh, you know, we shot 35. It was it was wonderful. It was like I, I, it was. I'm like, and all this time I'm going in the back of my head because I drank that Sundance Kool Aid back in '92, thinking, "Oh, this is my Robert Rodriguez moment. Yeah, this, this is, is my it. this is this is my Rariachi. This is my Clerks. This is Boondock Saints." And I, I could go to list on and on. It's one. This is this is it. So because of that delusion, I kept going down the road. And then um, I don't want to go too far deeper, but it, things went south. Uh, his True Colors came out. Uh, and, and we're still all, by the way, we're still only in uh, Louisiana, let's say. It's Louisiana um, uh, at this point because I, I lived in Florida, but it took place in Louisiana. So, um, so, uh, so we're in Louisiana, and it would have been a very interesting story just to go through a year of trying to make a movie with a mobster. Cause that's interesting, you know, cause the trailer that we shot had real mobsters in it with real guns and there were props. And I didn't even think about it. I'm like, Oh, cool. Vinny's oh here. Great. God. Vinny, Vinny, can you move over? But when you beat him, Vinny, this is how I'm, I mean, I swear to God, I swear to God, this is what I'm doing. I'm so like caught up in my own. This is world. where the green, little green on the banana still shows. Starts to go. No, no, the green, no, it started it actually unripens. So I start going greener as the process goes on. So we're going down this whole road. And this is that whole thing is a very fun story. And it's terrifying because I had my life threatened on a daily basis. And, oh. um, you know, I, I went into debt. I, I almost filed bankruptcy, this whole thing. Um, if that wasn't enough, Hollywood took him seriously. So then I was flown out to L.A. and I met the biggest movie stars in the world, billion dollar producers, the head of CAA, huge i'm like eating at the chateau marmont i'm at the ivy i'm i'm having like drinks with i mean this is it's insane so during all of this time again the back of my head that sundance kool-aid i'm like this it's gotta be it i'm sitting across the table from batman <laughs> one of the actors who played batman i'm at his house his mansion which i was flown out to to talk about him being in my movie so I'm like, this has to be real. So I'm just going to eat a little bit more crap and deal with this psycho psychopath because it's going to get me to where I want to go. Um, and it didn't work out, but I had a hell of an adventure. And uh, it made me who I was today. And a lot of people who listen to me on, on my podcast, you know, I always tell people, like, if you want to know where that grisly, grizzled voice of independent film comes from. <laughs> this is my origin story. This is when I was bitten by the radioactive spider, but I just have no superpowers other than <laughs> sensing BS um, and calling it out fairly quickly. <laughs> That's my new superpower. Man. And that was, and that was a story. I mean, and I, I mean, if I tell you, I mean, I'll, I can't tell you one story from the book. 
what you guys like have you ever thought of like making this this a movie you know it has never crossed my mind (laughs) ever not because not because the book cover looks like a movie poster no that's just that's an accident (laughs) of course of course it's something i'm in development on and we'll see you know, it, it, it's not, it's not something I could do for five grand. You know, this is a, this is a, a big thing if we're going to get it done and I'm actively working on it. So we'll see if it happens one day or not. Um, has modern, Batman committed, has Batman committed? <laughs> Batman has uh, the, the Batman has the book currently. Um, oh, so yeah. Batman this- does have the book currently. I'm not sure if he's read it, but he has it. Cause I know I, I, I actually, you know, ha- he has it. So has he read it? I don't know. We'll see. But Batman probably won't commit. If I if, if I do make the movie, Batman has to be in there somewhere. I don't know where it would be um, because he can't play himself because you know it's twenty years, so it doesn't it doesn't play. Gotcha. Um, but there'll be other things, or it could be Adam West and he could be dead. I don't know. Sure. One story I have to tell you from the book, which is my favorite story of all time in the book, and there's a lot of amazing stories in the book. So I'm 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 with um, Jimmy. Jimmy's my, I call him Jimmy's my gangster. So I'm with Jimmy and Jimmy takes me out to this fancy restaurant. That's like, you know, lying out the door and we just walk right in cause he hands him a hundred dollar bill and we have reservations and all that stuff. So uh, I'm sitting there and he's like, you know, wait by the bar and I'm sitting there waiting at the bar to get seated. And um, by the way, right next to us while we're waiting is Jerry Lee Lewis and Harry Dean Stanton having dinner. Wow. And I'm just like, <laughs> Oh my God. I'm like freaking the hell out. Like, holy cow, where am I? And there's stars everywhere. It's like a Hollywood, a Planet Hollywood opening. It's insane. It's insane. Again, I have the Kool Aid is kicking in the in, So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's got to be hard to not drink the Kool Aid, right? Dude, I mean, I'm like, it's not, I'm not, wasn't completely naive and just like, how could this guy fall for this? Like, no, I mean, Dude, like it was, and it wasn't just one meeting with one person. It was multiple meetings, multiple experiences in LA, talking to Oscar winners on the phone, like, you know, talking to Martin Scorsese's office because Martin's going to executive produce because he's, you know, he loves the mob and all. There's just so many stories in the book. It's, just, it's not even funny. So I'm there sitting there by the, the bar waiting. And all of a sudden, one of the biggest uh, film directors of the day walks in. He's a young guy. His films have grossed like a billion dollars. He's like the biggest guy in Hollywood. And I'm a fan at the time. I was a fan of his. And um, I'm like, Jimmy, Jimmy, look at that. Look who it is. And we're going to, we'll we'll call him Bobby. We'll just call him Bobby. Uh, After we cut the recording off, I'll tell you who it is. (laughs) Um, But um, so I go, look, it's Bob. It's Bobby. It's Bobby. And he's like, oh, Hey kid, you want to see something funny? That's the voice. I, that's my Jimmy voice. You want to see something funny, kid? I'm like, yeah. So Bobby's walking with his supermodel girlfriend um, towards us. And all of a sudden, Jimmy just turns to him like, hey, Bobby, how you doing? And you see Bobby's face turn pale white. Ooh. He starts to shake. Red flag. Like, like, <laughs> like, like in fear, in terrifying fear, he starts to shake. And I swear to God, he pissed himself. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like, literally, I think he was that scared Whoa. that I think I saw some peak come out and he's like, Hey, Jimmy, how you doing, man? How you doing? And he starts backing up slowly. And he's like, all right, I gotta go. I gotta go. And he just bolt grabs his girlfriend. She's like, what do we do? We just got it. He's like, just go, just go, just go, just go. And he took off and I'm sitting there going, Holy shit. Jimmy, what the hell was that? 
He goes, oh, me and Bobby go way back. Oh, man. Jesus. And uh, when we when we cut the recording off, I'll tell you the story. I'll tell you the Bobby story in in detail because I don't want to go that crass on the show. But it was that's that's so that's one of many stories of how not to follow your filmmaking dream in my book, Shooting for the Mob. I always tell people, like, if you read Rebel Without a Crew, this is the other side of that coin. Because a lot of people love Rebel Without a Crew. Right. I'm a big fan of Rebel. And a lot of people buy the books together, oddly enough, um, because they, they, they um, uh, Amazon's algorithm, mm-hmm. you know, sets it up. But if you want to see <laughs> the opposite story of like, Roberts was really successful. Mine's was not. So if you want to see what the, the horror version of the Stanley Kubrick shining version of Robert's story is, you read Shooting for the Mob. Doesn't that, I mean, doesn't that feel right, though, that that's kind of Hollywood, that you've got bullshitters on both sides. Some of them land and some of them don't, but everybody's just bullshit. The thing that I I found living here in L.A. for 12 years is that what sets me apart from a lot of people in L.A. is when I say I'm going to do something, I do it. And a lot of my L.A. friends are like, dude, you do what you're going to do, say you're going to do. I'm like, yeah, like like you said you were going (laughs) to open up a website and do a podcast. You did. I'm like. Yeah. Like you said you were gonna go shoot a movie at Sundance. Yeah. Like I just I just go do it. I don't I don't wait. I hate waiting. If I'm gonna go do something, I just go do it. And I and I I've been able to build up enough tools in my toolbox to just be able to do it myself and not have to wait for permission and not have to wait for anybody um to give me money or anything like that. I just go off and make whatever I want to go do or do whatever I'm gonna do. Like if I'm gonna write a book, I'm writing a book, you know. And if I'm gonna I say I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. LA is full of people who just talk, 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 talk. And when they see someone who actually does what they say they're going to do, it makes you stand out uh, tremendously. And that's where a lot of, look, Hollywood's not full of, the people who have made it are not the most talented people in the world. We all know that because we all watch movies. So, you know, they're not. Some of them are geniuses. You know, you got the Nolans and the Finchers of the world and these kind of people who are just at a completely different level than, than the rest of us on an artistic standpoint and on a almost on an intellectual standpoint as well. Um, they're just, there's a different vibe to them. And I've met these people, I've spoken to these people. So I understand the feeling of, of, of those kind of people. Like when you walk in a room with a star, like I met Robin Williams three months before he passed. When you're standing three feet away from Robin Williams, you understand why he's a star and he hasn't said a word. You just feel that energy and it's, it's undescribable. It's like, oh yeah, he's a star. You know, they suck the, they suck the air out of the room. There's that thing that you just cannot teach. When I was sitting in there with Batman, you can just sense like, oh, this guy's a movie star, you know? And even when you're talking to big people in the business, like huge producers or huge agents, it's different as far as the energy is concerned. Um, they don't have that sucking the air out energy, but they have a gravitas to them that you can't you can't verbalize. There's just that thing. They're like, oh, that guy did that. Okay, like you know, I, I don't know if you guys heard I, my last my latest episode. I just did all. I interviewed Oliver Stone. I haven't um, listened yet. Yeah, you got you guys got to listen to Oliver Stone's interview. It's amazing. So I'm talking to Oliver, and when I'm talking to him, you sense like there's just such gravitas to him. He actually does have a rare combination of being able to suck the room out of the air out of the room and the gravitas because he's so he's Oliver Stone. Like he's, I mean, you know, you just start listing the movies and you just go, Holy cow. Um, That was a hell of an interview. You guys, 
it was, it was, it was, it's like holding on for dear life on that one for me. I was just like, so, <laughs> but talking to people like that, um, you sense that, but a lot of people in town that I've worked with, or I've spoken to, or I have contact with or something, you could just tell them like, how do these guys get to where they are? And the one common denominator I found is that they just hustle, man. They just hustle. They bullshit. They, um, they just keep going. And that relentlessness is what gets them to where they go. Honestly, it's what it is. You know, I had a, I knew one director who was, when I knew him, was talentless and was arrogant. And he thought he said he was going to be at the Oscars and blah, blah, blah. And he ended up becoming a television director and he did very well. And he actually got better during his time. But what got him there was straight up hustle. He just would not, he was relentless. And it didn't matter that he didn't have talent. And he knew he didn't have a whole lot of talent at the beginning, but he picked it up as he went along. But he kept going and he actually softened as he as he went down in his career so at the beginning of his career he was completely arrogant completely over the top all of these kind of things he was mean abusive in other ways but i think over the time at least i hope he did from what i heard he actually started to soften and started to be more humble and he started to become better at the craft uh, as well and that's a rarity. Generally, that doesn't go that route. Mm -hmm. They just keep going up and, and become impossible people to deal with. It's just that kind of relentlessness that, that filmmakers need to have. I always tell people, I'm like, I'll take somebody who has heart and hustle way over somebody who has talent. Because talent without hustle is useless. Absolutely useless. Yeah, and you get, I mean, there's so much rejection, right? You're just constantly barraged with rejection. You have to like you know, over, over time, like, I, I know I have like a much thicker skin now because like, you just get it. Like everybody is telling, you no, you know, and when you mm -hmm. get the yes, you know, you like cling on. And then it's a mobster. Then it's a mobster. <laughs> yeah, it's a mobster it's a wanting you to make a $20 million movie for him. That's when they say yes. <laughs> yes. No, but, but I, I, when I was talking to Oliver again, he said that exact thing. He's like, I've had 10,000 no's. He goes, I just got rejected last week. So you have to understand, like he's Oliver Stone, and he's still getting yeah. rejections. Yeah, and Spielberg, Scorsese, and yeah, Spielberg, yeah. and they, they they all get rejected. There's oh, they all want to do something. They, their rejections are at a different level than ours. Mm -hmm. Like he can't get money to make Lincoln, so right. he has to go to India for money for Lincoln. You know, Scorsese can't make his his movie The Silence because it's too big. It's too right. and it's right. It doesn't. It's 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 a giant art piece, um, and it didn't do well. But it took him it took him 20 years to get that money together to finally get that movie made. Platoon was in Oliver's back pocket for 10 years. <laughs> and nobody would finance it. Nobody would finance it. And it took some crazy producer who became a legendary producer called John Daly said, Hey, I want you to I want you to direct. Uh, how much do you need? Six million? Go to the Philippines. Have fun. Wow. But it took him 10. It took him 10. And he was an Oscar winner. He already won the Oscar for Midnight Express in 78. And he still couldn't get, and he had already done Scarface, Conan, <laughs> you know, like. Did he do Wall Street already too before? Or he did Wall no, Street before? 87. Okay. It was 87, it yeah. So yeah, it was, it was, yeah, Wall Street and talk radio. I just got really deep into Oliver Stone's, uh, into Oliver Stone's uh, ecosystem, like his rabbit hole. So I kind of, off the top of my head, I know all this now. But he had a run of 10 movies in 10 years. And each one was essentially legendary and, and, and genre defining, you know, generationally defining like Wall Street is the 80s, you know, the doors, yeah, JFK, born on the 4th of July, platoon, like, I mean, just, it just, just, just your Nixon. mind boggles. Nixon, yeah. your mind, but national born, natural born killers, like your, your, your mind just kind of explodes at, at the kind of stuff he was doing. But 
when you when you speak to people like that, you understand the difference between someone like him who's an artist at a at a level that I just really had never spoken to someone at, at his level before and in his and his journeys. Not that he's better or worse than me or, or you or anybody else. He's just walked to 73. He's just walked the walk a bit more than we have. But when you speak to someone like that, it's um it's really interesting and take, it gives you perspective on where you are as your own on your own path. Uh, it, it gives people inspiration to keep going. Well, that's been our episode. Thank you to our guest, Alex Ferrari, and make sure you follow the Film Society and the Greater Erie Film Office on social media. You'll find all the tags and links in the show notes for this episode. Until next time, this was Film Brain. <laughs>